You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Now, it's summertime, and that means it's time to start getting our trail cameras ready and our trail cameras out to start capturing pictures of velvet bucks. And our friends at Exodus are kicking things off with Velvet Fest. Now, what is Velvet Fest? Long story short, Velvet Fest is the opportunity for you to win a variety of different prizes just by purchasing Exodus Trail Cameras, one of the best trail cameras on the market. Now, until July 12th, when you purchase any trail camera, you will be automatically entered into a drawing to win a variety of prizes from companies like Wicked Tree Gear, Maven Rifle Scopes, Tethered Tree Saddles, and of course, Exodus Trail Cameras. Be sure to follow Exodus on Facebook and Instagram, and be sure to visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com for more information on Velvet Fest. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Monday, and sometimes Mondays can really suck, but not when you have the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast playing in your ear. Hopefully, that's a little bit of a detachment from your Monday, and you can start daydreaming with us about the upcoming whitetail season or just being outside, right? So today's podcast, we're going to be talking with Caleb Michaels, and he's from Kansas, and he's going to share a really cool story about how he is a pharmaceutical student who is currently on rotation, you know, during medical school, and how he doesn't have a lot of time, right? But he always has set time aside for hunting, making sure all his equipment is right and all this stuff. So he talks about that and he gets into a really badass story about spot and stalking a gigantic whitetail in a bean field that took like half a day, five hours or something like that. And he ended up uh, shooting him and finding him. And that's what today's epic story is about. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy these stories that we're putting out because I really love talking to people about crazy, unique experiences. And hopefully you guys, uh, you guys like that as well. But before we get into today's podcast, we got to do a commercial like we always do. And this commercial is about Ozonics, right? You guys have heard me talk about how ozone has kind of changed the way I hunt, right? Uh, not necessarily in the field because I'm still playing the wind. I have the Ozonics there for the backup right uh catch everything you know clear my scent downstream i guess you could say uh just in case a, a buck pops up from behind me like it did this past year uh, or does kind of circle around me and instead of ruining the entire hunt i'm safe right but not only the in the field usage i use the ozonics and the dry wash bag just 
every single day of the hunting season. Every time I hunt, I'm either rinsing my clothes in the dry wash bag before the hunt, and then I'm definitely rinsing it all after the hunt. So uh, what you need to do is go to Ozonics website uh, and check out all the information about that product right um, how much it's producing uh, what it what ozone is uh, if you're not up to date on on ozonics go check out the website and if you're there and you decide to actually purchase an hr 300 or an hr 230 when you enter the discount code nfc18 you're going to get a free dry wash bag with that purchase right and i use the dry wash bag every single day uh, so take advantage of that offer now Let's get into today's podcast with Caleb Michaels. All right, on the phone with me now, Mr. Caleb Michaels. How you doing, man? Pretty good, Dan. How are you? Can't complain. Can't complain. Uh, I uh, I feel like I'm behind this year because I don't have my trail cameras out yet, and <laughs> it's really starting to bother me. Yeah, I can relate. I, I as well do not have mine out, but... Um... Uh, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's, it just means that we, we kind of got something to look forward to doing still. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, so you answered the call when it came to kind of an epic story um, uh, on that Facebook post that I made. And we're going to get into that story here in a little bit. But uh, before we get into that story, why don't you tell everybody, where do you live? What do you do for a living? Okay, yeah. So uh, I live in uh, Kansas, um, Douglas County area, um, kind of near Kansas City. Uh, what I do for a living is kind of funny because I, I don't know, I, I kind of have a bunch of different jobs. Um, I'm a pharmacy student first off, so that's kind of like a, a job in itself that I don't really get paid for. Yeah. But um, on the side, I, I do a bunch of other different things just to kind of I don't know, keep busy, but also get different experiences. I, I work in a pharmacy in Kansas City, and then um, I'm also a personal care provider for my younger sister, Faith, who has Down syndrome. Okay. So I'll help her out with some, like, uh, activities and things at home sometimes, and I get paid to this to do that. Yeah. Um, I work outside doing, like, concrete work and, like, kind of, like, outdoor brush work for a, for a guy I hunt with, actually. Um, I do that some, and then I just kind of pick up odd jobs um, here and there doing other things. Like right now I'm trapping at some guy's pond for some muskrat. So. Gotcha. So, sounds like you're busy. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned something yeah. about uh, your sister. Uh, and yeah. I, I want to talk about that a second because that's something that I can't relate to. So, of course, that sparks my curiosity. Um, okay. You're an avid hunter correct? Yeah. Right. So with your sister having Down syndrome, is she able to understand uh, or does she go out with you hunting? Is she able to enjoy it? What's that, what's that relationship like? So um, with her, she, she's really funny. She's, she's just such a joy to be around. Um, she's willing to go out and do just about anything with me. So I've taken her down into the woods to check trail cameras before and she likes it except for like, you know, basic things that most girls wouldn't like, which is like mosquitoes and bugs and <laughs> sweating. And, you know, so I, I think that she understands it all. And she, she, whenever I'm putting on camo to go hunt, she's like, Caleb, hunt, <laughs> yeah. like, shoot deer. And I'm like, so she, she understands it all. Um, but 
as far as like the capabilities of her being able to actually do it, I don't, I don't think they're quite there. Gotcha. Gotcha. How old is she? Uh, she's 16 now. I think she'll be 17 in August. So gotcha. But she, she does understand that her brother loves to go hunting. Yeah. Yeah. She understands that. And, uh, then when we eat deer meat and stuff, she's like, Caleb deer. <laughs> so, yeah. She, she understands that, the process and all of that and she'll come out and watch us skin them out and that whole thing and she she gets it but um yeah gotcha <laughs> she understands that it's kind of what i'm doing gotcha cool yeah i was just kind of curious how how she would re, re how she would react to it and whatnot not that you know there's uh you know i just out of my own curiosity i guess no it makes sense yeah she, she's super excited about anything and everything so does she go uh, fishing at all which you know, she she a, goes fishing with me, yeah. Gotcha. From a concept, that's real easy. Bobber goes underwater. You reel in the, you reel in the pole or reel in the line. Uh, does she get it? Like, does she get enjoyment out of out of that kind of stuff? Oh yeah, she like freaks out like when she when when it does go under. Cause I, I'm usually the one taking her to do that kind of stuff. And uh, um, yeah, she's got a couple <laughs> okay sized bass, and she's like, oh my gosh, and then <laughs> like you know. <laughs> She takes her like two or three minutes to actually hold it because I want her to kind of experience it all. I'm like, no, you're going to let it go. Like, I'll take the hook out for you, but I want you to touch it and do it. And, and she eventually does it. And she just, yeah, she doesn't mind after, you know, the first time she gets into it again. So right. it's pretty cool to watch. Does she, does she often ask to go with you when you're doing these outdoor activities? Um, I'd say it's like 50, 50. It depends like, you know, what her mood is. So sometimes she's like, sitting inside kind of vegging out on the tv and i'm trying to get her to come out she's not you know really um wanting to do that she's like no i'm in the ac <laughs> like <laughs> it's hot outside <laughs> yeah well that's the same that, that's how it is for everybody yeah so <laughs> cool cool yeah i just kind of yeah. curious now when it comes to like being a student you know and, and you're a pharmacy student so i i i take it that takes up a lot of your time yeah, um, I I feel like it does. <laughs> uh, I think um, I was trying to calculate earlier how many hours a week I actually am spending, like in the classroom or studying, and it's it's got to be somewhere around the fifty to sixty range, I bet, um, as far as like time in the classroom and then time out of the classroom studying. Yeah. So yeah, it takes up you know quite a bit of time and and effort, but. Um, I still like make it a drive to like get out there and go scout for deer and kind of make that like my motivating factor to get done with studying for the day or something. So, yeah. So has you like deciding to go down this path of, you know, this medical profession profession takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. Uh, how do you make time for, you know, yourself to still get out there and enjoy as much hunting and fishing and outdoors time as possible. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty lucky. Um, as far as that goes with my parents living so close to my school. Um, so, you know, kind of like the central hub of where I keep all my trail cameras and hunting gear. It's only like 15 minutes away. So I live in an apartment and then, you know, in the evenings I'll go out and, uh, set trail cameras. Um, I, I rely really heavily on, uh, trail cameras to, um, do most of my scouting and then in the afternoons I'll drive around certain you know sections or areas with binoculars and kind of just check those places out 
more towards the summer when I have a little bit of free time. Um, right now, I, I'm currently on rotations in school, but you know, previous uh, years um, when I was just doing the the classwork um, part of my curriculum, I actually had time in the summer to do more scouting. So I, I did a lot more scouting in the summer to kind of like plan for the for the fall, and I wouldn't have as much time then. Yeah. So cool, man. Cool. Well, it sounds like you uh, got out enough this past season to uh, have a, a pretty cool memory and a really good story. Yeah. All right. So here's what I want to do. Um, this this deer that you ended up shooting was this the 2018 season, right? Yes. Okay. Cool. So I kind of I kind of want to start off at the beginning of that season and, and kind of chit chat with you about what are your goals and expectations kind of going into every hunting season? Okay. Yeah. So I have a couple spots that I've kind of figured out over the years. And, um, so I set out my cameras usually about the first, you know, weekend of July or so. And within like that month or so, I kind of get a pretty good assessment of if there's going to be some shooter bucks on the properties or kind of what's going on. Um, and, just through circumstances, I some of my places I lost, and some of them kind of got downsized because they sold them. And I, you know, I checked my cameras. I didn't have as many um, shooter deer on camera, or I don't think I actually had any. I was really targeting, so I kind of stressed me out. And uh, I don't know if you know about Kansas and uh, like the public land situation here, but um, it's it has the least amount of public land in the fifty states besides Hawaii. So. There's not like a ton of public around here to go hunt, so pretty much everything I do is door to door, knocking and gaining permission through landowners, and so I I kind of went you know back to that and started hitting up all these landowners around my parents' place, um, you know trying to figure out how I could establish that relationship to get some hunting land and finally gained an you know an, enough land or a considerable amount of land actually to you know kind of launched this trail camera expedition this summer and see what was all out there and it's kind of just like an exploratory thing for me again because i didn't have any experience on these places and so i was all like new but then at the same time in the back of my head i'm like man like how am i going to get ready to you know for hunting season because like it's already almost august or yeah. mid-august by now and season starts in a month and school starts um about the end of august so i was like my, my time's dwindling down so right right so so yeah have you that been, was my assessment of it yeah have you been a knock on door permission type kind of your your whole hunting career yeah my parents own like 17 acres and it, it's good land to hunt but you can't re you know i have a younger brother that hunts some with me too and uh you know you just you can't really make it a habit of doing a bunch of times without those deer getting educated and just ignoring the property. Right. right. So, um, yeah, so I, I've, I started out when I started out doing it, I probably knocked on like 80 doors and maybe got permission on five places. And of yeah. those five, I think only two or three, maybe we're getting, you know, worth, worth hunting. Yeah. Um, and then, but this last year, I think I probably knocked on, 25 or 30 doors and i i think i got permission from eight or ten of them which is to a, a lot higher success rate um and there are a lot larger chunks of land too so 
Right. I think uh, in a pretty quick time period, I accumulated about like 2,000 acres or so of private land just by talking to these different farmers. Right. Uh, that was pretty exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and that's, that's how I have to do it uh, because just like you in Iowa, we have a very low, uh, percentage of public land and, you know, people say, Oh, public, you know, Iowa is 2% public land. Well, that public land also counts for like state parks and boat ramps and places that you can't hunt. And so I would assume it's even less than that and closer to the 1%, uh, mark and, just like you, you got to knock on doors. I remember one weekend I knocked on 22 different doors uh, around where I live, and I was told no 22 different times. And yeah. that's that's defeating sometimes, man. It's just uh, it's hard to do, but you get you get thick skin real quick. Yeah, I uh, I, pre- I figured out a pretty good I don't know skit or or so to say a pretty good you know story to, to kind of tell people of you know kind of being in school and using that to my advantage instead of my disadvantage as far as time goes. Like, you know, everyone can kind of understand someone who uh, is struggling with like, you know, going and working and school and trying to do this passion they, they love. And so they're, they're typically pretty nice to want to help out if they can, but um, if not, then they're still, you know, it's, it's not a mean, you know, slam it, slam in your face, kind of slam the door in your face kind of no. So, Absolutely. So, you know, after you accumulated this 2000 acres of this 2000 acres, how many other guys were you sharing some of these properties with that you, that you knew of? (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) I like how you started (laughs) laughing before I even finished the question. Yeah, it's, it's quite a, I think, I don't know. I think some of the properties where I, I'm not scared to knock on a door that's 20 acres um, and go ask for permission just because of the fact that uh, I may not have to deal with someone else or, or it may be the right 20 acres. Um, but I'd say I'm probably sharing, I don't know, probably just the people I know, I bet eight to 10 people at least on certain properties and probably more that come from out of state that I'm not aware of. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, it's it's kind of a guessing game to figure out where to put your stand sometimes. So, yeah, or or it has been. So uh, this two thousand acres, it wasn't like it was the best two thousand acres in the state of Kansas, and it wasn't like it was you're the only hunter on this on this property. No, like for example, three hundred of the acres. Um, I think the only trees it had on it were the a small creek line that you know, cut between two bean fields and, um, the nearest timber wasn't, you know, super close as far as like, you know, having an opportunity to shoot a deer during, uh, daylight hours, but still, I mean, the accumulation of it and, and kind of patterning deer and, or, or trying to pattern deer with cameras, um, you know, it, the possibilities there that a, a deer could be holed up in, in that Creek line somewhere. And at the right time or the right check, I could get a, deer on camera coming in solid enough amount of time to make it worth my hunting so yeah absolutely so in kansas correct me if i'm wrong uh they're not gonna kansas doesn't have the huge whitetail population like some other states let's say like iowa or illinois or even like i don't know i think michigan has a pretty high population of deer but what they do have is some really good quality deer so um would, would that be an accurate statement 
Um, yeah, I, I'd say you can definitely see like the fluctuation from year to year sometimes as far as like the deer numbers. Um, there's, yeah, like you said, there's good deer here, uh, probably better chances at good deer than lots of deer. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, you got, you got this property, you know, you got this, uh, 2000 acres you're working with several different landowners had mm-hmm. now it's time to put out the trail cameras, right? Yeah. Okay. So you put out trail cameras during that first card pull, uh, whether, what time of year was it that you ended up putting out your trail cameras? Uh, I think those ones, I mean, I didn't gain all the permission at the same time. I try to put them out first July, but those cameras for, you know, the sake of all that land, I just kind of accumulated pretty quick was probably towards the end of July. Okay. Um, probably early August. Okay. So let me just say this somewhere around mid August, what were your trail cameras telling you? Uh, <laughs> that I was still doing something wrong. Cause I didn't have anything I wanted to shoot. <laughs> yeah. And what um, were you, what were you trying to shoot? I mean, what was your goal for that for last season? Well, I think my goal, or I'd say my goal was to find something mature that, that kind of just stuck out to me or, or kind of made me go, Oh wow, that's, that's a nice one. And, and yeah, you may get a blurry picture in the middle of the night sometimes here and there, but you know, I don't really consider those. Um, I, if I can't tell what it is, I'm not going to say that's a huge deer kind of thing. So I guess my, my point or my target was to go after something that I consider to be, you know, four and a half or older and, um, you know, just a mature, a mature animal. Yeah. Um, so had you shot, uh, had you shot mature deer, uh, in the past and, or was this kind of something new to you to go after a higher age class? Um, I think I've, I've, I've definitely, I've shot a couple mature deer before. Um, both of those were during rifle season. So I've kind of my thought processor going into this is I, I, I try every year with the bow or, you know, in this, this year I was using the crossbow. Um, and then I switch over to rifle season when it's rifle season, just due to lack of time. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd say I'd gotten, uh, two, maybe three other mature, um, white tails in the past, uh, probably five years. Gotcha. Um, so I wasn't looking for something to top those. I think, um, I was just looking for something comparable to those just to kind of, you know, once you set that standard for yourself, uh, you kind of want to stick to it just as kind of like your goal of succeeding for the season, kind of. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Now, not much showed up on trail cameras, right? Yeah. Right. So when does the Kansas archery season start? Or in the, I guess the other question is, can you use a crossbow during archery season in Kansas? Yeah, you can. I, I think they changed it back in 2013 or 14. Um, you could use a crossbow and, uh, uh, at the time I, I, I was using some PSE that I think the draw length was like two inches off. Like I just never really been into archery, um, before to know anything about it. So I bought the first cheap bow I could find and I was trying to shoot and I, no surprise. I wasn't super great at it starting out cause I didn't know what I was doing, but I had this, you know, mindset of, man, if you want to hunt the rut here, if you want to hunt earlier in the year you have to shoot with a bow so um you know with my lack of time that was really uh struggled with that the first couple years of doing that um 
So then when I figured out, oh, wow, you can use a crossbow too, that would probably be a lot more ethical for me as a you know person I can't get out there and practice as much with the bow and and clearly I don't know <laughs> clearly I don't know what I'm doing with the bow so far since I don't have uh, the right draw length even so yeah that was my kind of my uh, my my next go to yeah absolutely nothing wrong with that so did you start hunting on these properties right away uh, that year when does the when's the Kansas season open. Uh, middle of September. Okay. I think it was like September 15th or 17th. Okay. So when you, uh, when, when the season started, did you start hunting as well or did you hold off, uh, always until you got into the, got into the stand? No, I didn't, I didn't start hunting right away. I mean, I had, um, probably, uh, I would, I would have said it was like a three and a half year old, maybe mid one forties to high one forties class, 10 pointer on camera. Um, and I, I have a one or two cellular cameras too, just to, you know, give me a reason to look at my phone when I'm studying sometimes. Right, right. Um, uh, but uh, so I was getting pretty consistent pictures of this deer and, and he was, you know, in front of my stand opening, uh, opening day of season. And I just, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really stoked about going and shooting him. So I, I just, yeah, I held off. I didn't start the season off on the opening day or anything like that. I just, kept using those evenings um after kind of studying and classwork and taking a break to drive around and scout with my binoculars and look at some of these fields and try and figure these places out a little bit better and figure out where there were big deer at gotcha now during those driveabouts, did you ever locate a deer that was worth going after at all uh yeah i did locate one um or actually a, a couple but one specifically, I kind of had a, a little pattern on him. You know, he's probably a 150 class ten pointer uh, that I, I'd see in a bean field every, you know, so often in the evening. And um, he was he was just across the road from where I could actually hunt him. So I was just uh, kind of monitoring where he was coming in and out at, but it wasn't really something I could hunt yet. So um, gotcha, just because it was on a different property. Yeah, but kind of store that information in the back of your head saying, well, I can hunt across the street. I might be able to uh, catch him during the rut. That was exactly my thought process, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. All right, cool. All right, so how long until you ended up jumping into the timber and actually start hunting? Um, so now that I think about this, so I did actually have one really big shooter deer, um, right after I set my trail cameras, um, I, I don't know what he would have scored. It would have probably been in the one eighties. So he was a tank and he was coming in like daily for about two weeks. During um, the summer. and then about, two, yeah, during the summer. And then about two weeks before season started, he disappeared. So I, I didn't ever go hunt for him and he never came back the whole season. Gotcha. Um, kind of did that, you know, that September shift they sometimes do and relocated. Yep. Uh, so I'd say I didn't probably get into the woods and start hunting till, I mean, I think I may have done a couple of exploratory kind of sits to just kind of glass and watch maybe at the end of September, Yep. but probably not till about, you know, mid October when I had low changed cameras around or, or moved spots or kind of new deer filtered in or, or I found new deer, yep. um, till probably about the beginning of October. That's probably when I started, uh, you know, finding more sign or more chances to go hunting gotcha 
Gotcha. All right. So anything else start showing up on trail camera? Did you find any sign while you were out there uh, messing around? What, what led you to start getting into the timber and start hunting hard? So, yeah, uh, I had a couple pictures um, at several of my places. They started kind of picking up some some deer, but they're just kind of sporadic or night pictures. And then um, I think really my, my classroom schedule or my my testing schedule kind of decided when I needed to go out a little bit because I had like a really stressful week of te- you know, taking tests. I, I knew that, you know, if, if I was just going to go out and sit, just to sit like that was okay with me. I just needed a way to clear my mind. Right. Um, but I think what really caused me to go into like some of the areas I thought were better or when I did start getting some of these bigger deer pictures, um, I got like a nice 14 pointer on camera. I, I got several other nicer bucks starting to, you know, come on camera, uh, mid October now. Um, so I've, I actually started hunting quite a few of the different spots at that point. Um, just based on those pictures. Gotcha. Okay. So let's, let's start getting into this, this particular story, right? Um, Mm -hmm. what day was it? What was the month? What was the day that this event all kind of went down? So maybe I should not to backtrack and change the story, but you know, to kind of lay it out, um, when I went to get permission on this property, uh, the, uh, the woman I talked to there, um, actually had bipolar disorder and was schizophrenic, which basically just means she was kind of off her rocker when I was talking to her and may have been some drug usage as well. So it was (laughs) a very kind of hectic, weird conversation. And and the only reason I went to this location is because, uh, uh, I, on my maps, I could see that the, uh, their last name matched um, permission I already had on another property. Yeah. So I, I was like, oh, if I, you know, I think these guys are brothers, I could probably get permission. And then so that whole, whole ordeal went down where it was kind of like just, she just was, yeah, she had a lot of weird things to say to me and, and it caught me off guard. And, and so I kind of got underneath my skin. I started to leave and I, I called the, uh, the brother of the property I had permission on. And, and he told me, Oh, uh, yeah. He told me what the 411 was on her. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> I yeah. thought about it a little bit more. I was like, I wonder if that would keep other hunters away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so instead of, you know, not going back, I, I cause I got permission. I was like, I'm going to go back there and hunt it. Yeah. Well, it, it didn't keep other hunters away. <laughs> yeah. But there was a there's a whole bunch of other you know stands and everywhere I pretty much went to look there was stands. Um, uh, so I, I kind of ignored it a little bit till um, about November. Uh, my it was right after Thanksgiving. Is I think it was the day or two after Thanksgiving. Uh, my older brother um, came down from Western Kansas for Thanksgiving, and I was like, "Hey, man, like I got this place. You know, I can take you out there. We can go hunt in the morning." Um, I haven't really been out there much. I don't know much about it, but if anything, it'll be a, you know, a great excuse to get out there and hunt. So we, we head out to this place and, uh, get up, we drive past their house in the morning and all the way up to the top of this hill. And at the bottom of the hill that we drive by and by their house is this big bean field. So we were trying to catch deer, um, flipping down these draws, you know, coming back from either eating or going to eat. 
Um, that was the intention. Uh, I don't think we really, I saw maybe like, I saw five does. I think he saw a couple does and a spike buck. So around 8.30 or 9 in the morning, we were pretty much ready to call it quits. So I start walking back to my car and I'm kind of waiting on him to come. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to drive over to the edge of the hill here and just kind of glass down into the bean field um, and see what's down there. And I spot this uh, really nice buck down there with this doe and he just kicked away this spike buck and just see, you know, the spike buck walking off and I'm, I'm telling my brother, I'm like, dude, you got to get over here. Like, this looks like a decent deer. I have this really crappy pair of binoculars. I can't tell. <laughs> Come over here with your nice ones. Let's, let's put a scope on them and find out what's going on. Um, so he comes over and we glass them for a while. And we're thinking they're going to, you know, make their way back to bed towards the timber. Um, but they ended up just bedding. You know, we watched we watched him mate, uh, mate the doe. And they ended up just bedding right there in the, the bean field. So we're like, okay, I guess they're not coming this way. So we're going to have to go after them. So I drove back down by the house and bear crawled probably like 250 yards out to these hay bales. Um, and kind of, we had one picked out that we thought he was, you know, straight in from that one, but we couldn't tell how far. So I finally get to this hay bale and I'm standing up behind it and I can't see these deer anywhere. I can't see them. They're, they're bedded down and, and, just, there's just no picking them out so i'm standing on top of the hay bale now kind of looking for them and and then i couldn't find them so i start trying to like grunt um some to see if i can get the deer to stand up because I, I think they're in range to shoot at this point but yeah i just can't find them so uh i i tried a lot of things to try to get them to stand up but nothing nothing works so i'm like man like between me driving down here and crawling here like did i lose them like I don't know what happened. So did, did you think bo- at this point that, so you, you thought he kind of bolted or maybe was it windy outside where he couldn't hear you? Because I've, I've been in scenarios before where I've tried to stop a buck or get a buck to do something and they just straight up ignore whether it's my rattle or I'm trying to grunt or snort wheeze at him. They, it's like, I don't even exist. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it was. It, it was it was pretty windy. There's like 15 mile hour gusts of wind coming here and there, so I I don't think they could hear me. Um, and I thought they were 30 yards in, so I I they didn't hear me. Uh, so I'm slowly like, all right, I guess I'm gonna you know kind of slowly stock my way through these beans. And these beans were half the field had been cut like about the week before, but they didn't finish the other half yet. So they were just taking advantage of this half cut field. And uh, the beans were really tall. Like they went up to about my chest almost, I think. So yeah. um, they're kind of thick and tall. And I was like, okay. So I slowly walk in, and I'm, you know, trying to take steps when the wind's blowing. And then I'm, you know, using my rangefinder to kind of look for them and then taking more steps more. And I'm about 30 yards in, and I'm like looking around everywhere. And I should say at this point, my older brother, he's sitting on a trail um, up on top of the hill, kind of uh, just waiting to see if you know they they bust up that way or or whatnot just kind of flanking the trying position. to keep an eye on them yeah kind of yeah exactly trying to give us both an opportunity on them um so i'm i feel like i'm almost on top of them at this point but i still can't find them so i keep going i'm about 40 yards now i'm like oh man i can't find them and then all of a sudden i see this flicker of you know something i thought it was a bird at first but it ended up being the doe's ear 
um, in the beans. And she was about, I think she's 18 yards away at this point. So I see her and I'm looking around for this buck. She's like, where is he at? And then all of a sudden I see these about an inch, maybe an inch, uh, the tips of his tines above the, um, bean beans there and just looking straight at her. I was like, Oh, there he is. Okay. So then I kind of reposition myself and I get to about 13 yards from him. And that's where I last range pinded him at least. Now, wait a second. And wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. How long, cause you didn't just walk through a bean field to sneak up on this buck that was bedding in, in here from the time that you got out of your truck, crawled to the hay bales, glassed, and then got into the bean field and started working your way to where you thought this deer was. What was the time frame of this all? Oh, um, so I'd say I probably got down out of my vehicle probably around nine, um, nine thirty, and it was probably by the time I'm you know to this point in the story, it's twelve thirty, twelve forty-five. I mean, I was moving pretty slow, and and before that, I probably spent an hour you know trying to glass and find them in there, just thinking they were so close. Okay. Um, so you're so yeah you're in full spot and stock mode now. And yeah. <laughs> this, this process has taken three plus hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you're, are you walking through this bean field or are you like hands and knees crawling? No, I, I didn't hands and knees crawl just because of, um, the beans were pretty dry and I figured I'd crack just as many and I wouldn't be able to see above the gotcha. bean line. So I, I was just kind of crouched, crouched down and, and kind of picking my steps closely and um, making my way that way uh, towards them. So. Okay. So let me ask you this then. Um, uh-huh. It's it's like a little after 12 o'clock at this point, right? If you start yeah. Three, yeah. three hours, you know, three and a half hours go by. Um, were you... Like, what was your thought process here? You're standing up in these bean fields. That time of year, the beans are pretty dry. They're starting to thin out. Um, were they still so- somewhat green, or were they brown, or what was the deal? No, they were all brown. They, I mean, they were ready to be cut. Like I said, they cut half the half field them, already. Yeah, that's right. But uh, the uh, it was a really, really rainy year last year, I believe. Yep. Because um, I remember thinking it, they couldn't get it, the beans out for, like, ever. So... I thought normally they had gotten them out by now, but you know, these ones were still standing. Um, but I just remember thinking like, it was just so thick. I couldn't see these deer, you know, hardly see them at, you know, when I was at that point, 13 yards, I mean, I could barely see them. But you knew that there was a deer at, you saw the doe and you saw the buck, although they were, you could just see parts of them. They were Mm -hmm. within 20 yards of you. Yeah. Okay. What was yeah. your wind? What was your wind doing at this point? Were you, did you was the wind not into play here, or was it swirling, or was it kind of you were downwind of them? Um, yeah, it was. It was a uh, parallel to the deer, so um, my wind was uh, blowing in the same direction. The deer, I not at the deer. I don't know how to put that. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was. It was blowing down by them, but um, not at them. Gotcha. Okay. So gotcha. All right, so you're you're about you're inside twenty. You know, mm-hmm. go from there. So yeah, I get 
I get about that far and kind of lost track of the dough at this point because I'm just focusing on this buck and what he's doing. And, and all I can see is his head and like, you know, basically him looking at me, you know, looking at me and then looking at the dough and he, I mean, he's falling asleep half the time and just sitting there and I keep thinking like I could get closer, but like, I don't want to, cause I would, you know, probably jump him up and he'd be gone. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to hold out here, try and wait him out. So I probably waited another 45 minutes, 30 minutes, just sitting there, um, waiting for him to, you know, naturally stand up and feed or do something. And that never seemed like it was going to happen. So I, I tried grunting at him from that, um, that close. And, um, I tried snort wheezing at him and he would look at me. Um, but he just didn't move. I, I think he just thought he was so concealed, but nothing could see him and he was safe and probably had a lot to do with the rut and you know he, he just bred this dough so he probably wasn't in the right you know state of mind but uh yeah he he wouldn't move at all so i was like man i'll, I'll try whistling at him maybe like that would be you know a different enough noise that would get him up and that didn't work either so i'm like okay so i guess where i'm just gonna keep waiting so i just i kept sitting there and kind of waiting for him to stand up and all of a sudden I see something like in the corner of my eye um like pretty close to me and I was like oh shoot what's that and it was the doe standing up um and she was going to feed and so I I ducked down I'm I kind of broke the beans to you know hide myself and pretty much just have the crossbow um above the beam above the bean line um ready to go but I'm watching this doe she's feeding kind of next to me and then I mean, she was probably 10 yards from me and then started walking away. I was like, okay, good. She doesn't, she doesn't catch on to me yet. Man, 10, uh, 10 yards is close. Are you like freaking out at this point? Yeah. Like I'm not moving a muscle and like, she's, I mean, she's, she's picking her head up and looks my direction, you know, now and then, but she's looking all the other directions too. So I, I just don't think she smelled me or realized I was there at all. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah, she was very close, and, and then I just remember her kind of like turning around because at one point I thought she was going to come closer because she was kind of angling that way, but then she turned around, started feeding the other way. So I was like, okay, she's you know she's out of she's out of the equation now. Like, let's go back to um, seeing what the buck's doing. And then I turned to look at the buck again, and he's standing up, like staring right at me. <laughs> wow! So he'd taken about two steps, and he was pretty much like hovering over not hovering over me, but you know, he was, he was probably 10 yards at this point, just looking right at me I'm like, Oh shoot. Like he's on to me. So I, I pretty much didn't move too much besides get my head, you know, on the scope and it all happened real fast. And I pulled the trigger and, and I heard it hit him. Um, but then I didn't know what happened after that. He just, he ran off the doe ran with him, And I just remember thinking like, what happened? What just happened? Like that was so fast. Like, this whole long drawn out process of me, like trying to, you know, get this deer to stand up and this long, you know, stock in here. And, and then that quick, he was just staring at me. I was like, what went wrong? Like, how did it, how did this happen so fast? And then, uh, so I remember thinking like, Oh man, what, you know, where, where are they going? Like I left all my arrows, my extra arrows in my bag back by these hay bale blinds. So I'm, kind of like sneaking back there and and i'm wondering like where these deer are running off to and i couldn't see them because the uh, beans at that point so I, I had no clue 
so then I kind of regroup my stuff and I see my brother walking down off the, he- off the hill and, uh, he, he's like looking at me and I'm like looking at him kind of like, you know, what's going on. And then he gives me a thumbs up, like, kind of like, did you get him? And I think he's saying you got him yeah. <laughs> or you hit him or here he's down or something. So then I'm like, Oh, I got him. <laughs> so it's kind of a miscommunication there. Cause then he started getting really pumped <laughs> and I had no clue what, what had really gone on. It happened so fast. Um, but, uh, you know, went and talked to him. He's like, Oh yeah, I think you hit him. Uh, he's like, I saw, I saw him bleeding when he kind of, what he did is he ran all the way around this bean field and crossed the, you know, the the driveway, uh, that I just driven down earlier from the top of the hill and kind of ran over into this little Creek, um, towards the, the front of the property, kind of by the road and by their house and kind of figured he, he was, he's like, he was bleeding and he headed down into there. I'm like, okay, maybe he's going to, you know, so stay you down didn't there see the die. impact. You didn't see the impact. No, I, I, I really didn't. I, I just remember getting it on, getting on to his, uh, towards his front shoulder or shoulder. Cause he's kind of quartering towards me at that point and, and shooting. And yeah, no, I, at that point it just, it was all blurry, honestly. Like he was just so close and, and looking through the, uh, through the scope. I mean, the next thing I do when I'm, you know, kind of put my arrow or my bow down to look at him, he's already 40 yards away yeah. jumping with his tail in the air. And that's typically not a great sign when they have their tail in the air. So I, I had, you know, really no idea of what had actually happened or where I'd hit. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of one of those, you know, split second decision kind of things. But, uh, um, I, I feel like I made, you know, an ethical shot at the time. So, yeah. so, um, did this, yeah. be, did this deer run straight out of the bean field or, and disappear on you? Or did he end up going down in the bean field? I mean, wh- what was the blood situation like? So he ran, he basically ran around the whole bean field or at least, yeah, the whole bean field, even the uncut part. So he was almost heading up towards my brother. My brother's like, I was getting an arrow ready. Like I was getting one knocked. I thought I was, I don't know if you missed or if I was going to have to shoot him or what, but he cut and kind of just like did a big circle and went back, you know, not to where I shot him, but like back the direction of where I came from. Um, and so we didn't, I don't, I still to this day never actually checked the, the blood from directly where, um, I hit or, or where he ran. Cause we, we knew we could see his tracks in the mud and we could see, uh, you know, a couple little specks of blood here and there. So we knew we hit him and my brother had seen him in the binoculars walking over this hill. Um, and he said he could see that his, his coat was orange looking orange, like he was bloody. So, yeah. uh, we we're like, all right, let's give this deer about 30 minutes or so, you know, to, have a chance to expire and, and let's not push it out or do anything crazy. Let's just see what we kind of got here. So we had this idea, like, let's just drive in our car up on the road. We can glass down into this Creek bottom and see if he's, you know, see if he's down there, or, you know, see what, if we need to make a game plan on him or what. So we get in the car and we head up towards the road and we drive back and forth on the road a couple times and glass down into this bottom and, didn't really, you know, see anything that was, I mean, we, we just didn't know if he had came out of there or not yet. So, uh, it's probably been like 45 minutes now. We decided we're going to, you know, slowly make a stock kind of inwards towards it. Cause we're trying to keep him on the, on the property. Um, if he wasn't, you know, 
dead and, and we were actually trying to make another stock on him thinking if he kind of i'd say he probably ran maybe i don't know 400 yards at this point but it was all open open pasture kind of open field right um so we we were just kind of like keeping that option available as well just if we slowly walk through this uh, we should be able to find him so we head in there and as soon as we as soon as i crossed the fence to head down i'm like oh there's blood here like He's already came out. There's lots of blood here. I told my brother, I was like, hey, come back. Like, he's already made it through this stuff. Like, I don't know where he's at. And so he'd actually crossed the road we've been driving on this whole time. <laughs> and I mean, just didn't see, you know, see the blood at the time. Yeah. Um, so we make our way back up to the road where we parked, or not exactly where we parked, but up to the road following the blood trail. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, yeah, look here. He, here's where he crossed the road. He's on the other side. And, the deer was watching. He was sitting right up above us, looking down at us in his bed and about 20 yards up on top of the hill across the road. And he got up and just started running off or whatever. And I was like, Oh man, that was him. Like he was watching us this whole time. Right. (laughs) So, so we heard him run and sound like there's a couple of does that ran with him. And we kind of heard the does run one way and, and the buck run another way. And, seemed like he ran up about 30 or 40 yards and then we didn't really hear him running anymore but we were like i don't know if he's walking or if maybe he made it onto you know some soft grass and we can't hear him or what so we decided you know it's about one or i think probably like 130 ish or two now so we're like we're gonna back out and uh go get some lunch and regroup and and come back but from what we could see with the blood trail it it looked pretty good and to be bleeding as much as he seemed to be bleeding at that point, like we felt more confident than we did initially. Um, so we had, yeah, we did that. We went out and got some lunch and, uh, I think we came back about three or four hours later and I had my younger brother at the time then too. So all three of us are blood trailing this deer up this hill. And we, I'm just like second guessing myself this whole time. Like, Oh man, I don't know. Like when, when he stood up, were you able to get a better idea of where you shot him? Well, when he stood up like uh, and ran away. Oh, Oh no. Like honestly, I just, he was actually tucked in this like little knoll. Like there's a whole like broken down evergreen in front of his body. Like when he finally stood up and started running uh, or, you know, kind of jumped this little fence. I, I wouldn't say jump. There's this down fence he crossed and uh kind of ran off i just remember seeing like that was definitely him like that was the rack that i saw and uh i i still couldn't tell at that point but um based on the blood it it would have been pretty hard for me to believe that it wasn't a fatal shot yeah so i yeah i could not tell just based on that you know quick second you know glance i got of him running off but uh uh so we we yeah we made this blood trail um up to the top of the hill and he made it basically where we thought about 40 more yards and died in his tracks right there so i think he was honestly about done and we just maybe hopped onto his trail a little bit too quick and he probably would have died right there had we not jumped him up but i think he was dead within a few minutes after that point because we kind of heard his footsteps stop right where we found him yeah so he was going to die at some point, but it's, it was probably better for you 
to kick this deer up at this particular instance and yeah. open that wound up a little bit more, get him bleeding a little bit more. So when you mm-hmm. when you walked up to him, where did you actually hit him at? Yeah, so I actually hit him um, uh, a little bit higher in the neck um, than I thought I was going to initially hit him. I, I was trying to aim, you know, like coring two shot lower and kind of go through the front vital area there. And, and the, it, the shot was higher up than that. So um, you got him in the neck. Yeah, I got him in the neck, ended up hitting him in the neck. So not, not an ideal shot, but uh, it, it was lethal. Yeah. So I, I mean, just a li- little extra work. Yeah, just a little bit of extra work and a little, little bit more time to put in to find him. But uh, uh, it's still pretty exciting to have, you know, my brothers there with me and kind of like that whole recovery process and, um, you know, having two brothers that also hunt, uh, just have them actually, one of them be there when you are successful is, I mean, I feel like it would be pretty rare if not, like this is probably one of the few times I've ever hunted with my, one of my brothers at the same time. So yeah. that was really exciting um too cool cool man uh so when you walked up on this deer what was he so yeah so this whole time i mean when we were glassing him and and when we when i went to make this stock um what i was kind of anticipating was this buck looks mature he looks old but i thought he was like a 140s you know eight point somewhere in there like i didn't I didn't really see exactly what he all had on him or his characteristics or any of that, just because it was so thick and we were so far away when we were glassing. And it wasn't until the shot that I realized he was a lot bigger than that. <laughs> um, but uh, he uh, he ended up being, I think, about 156. Um, I don't know with deductions or any of that, but he had a split brow tine uh, on one side and other than that, he was a clean 10 pointer. So he ended up being an 11 pointer. Gotcha. Um, yeah, really pretty unique deer. And the crazy thing about it is, you know, I put all this time and effort into, you know, setting up trail cameras and, um, I just, I've never, I've never seen this deer, at least on camera on a trail camera that I had out there yet. And, uh, and those deer in Kansas, they'll go a long ways to find love. Yeah, they will. They definitely will. Uh, I, I did, I do quite a bit of like, uh, trail, like I keep my trail camera pictures from years past and, yeah. and, um, a couple photos I had, um, from two different locations of the same buck. And I ended up, uh, um, putting like, uh, on a map or like tracking how far away those two locations were and it's like 4.3 miles or something between the two places I got pictures of this deer. And yeah, I, was, I just couldn't believe that I actually like, you know, got, this deer at two separate locations that far apart and he had to cross like a, a pretty major highway to get to where the second picture was <laughs> it was all in the same year too so yeah they'll they'll move around here a lot that's awesome man well uh i call that a success right just yeah. kind of a intense long drawn out spot and stock with kind of an intense uh a little bit longer than normal uh recovery but you got him yeah. 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 That was, um, that was really exciting. Cause I, I think, uh, my next time I'd probably get to hunt would have been the December rifle. Um, and rifle season always falls. Um, 
about when my finals do in school. So uh, it's always a kind of a trick or um, and I always have to have like some game plan to like figure out when I can actually even go rifle hunt because I'm trying to study for these finals and neither of those are uh, easy feats to master. So yeah, I get it, man. I, was, I get it. I was glad to get it done before finals started. <laughs> so did you learn a little bit about the prop, the, these properties this year that are going to make it easier for you next year? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, so that property, for example, because there's so many hunters on it, um, I didn't really invest a lot of time and, and energy into it just cause I was thinking, I, I don't, I don't know. I was thinking, I don't really understand how these deer are moving around yet. And people already have tree stands and, and the locations I wanted to put, put something already had something there. So I kind of just, I didn't ignore it entirely, but I didn't put a lot of effort into it right off the bat. Um, just trying to focus on some of my properties. I didn't have as many people on or, or that I already had some, you know, shooter deer I wanted to go after or that I thought would be easier to hunt. Um, but yeah, I, d- I learned a lot from that property because I realized, uh, these deer, um, may be coming from the, the timber across the road to that bean field. And I had never thought of that until I, uh, trailed my buck up into that timber to retrieve him. And then I kind of realized maybe that's why I never had him on camera on top of the hill where we were hunting because he was coming from across the road and it's given me a lot better like perspective of how I can set up there because no one else is utilizing that side of the property closest to the road um, to hunt these deer so um, yeah I'd say I learned a lot from uh, this past season on several locations so cool man cool well pretty cool story Uh, congrats on the uh, success and uh, good luck this upcoming season man hey man you too yeah I'm I'm uh you know I'm I'm applying for points and whatnot just being in school that's that's what I can afford right now is to apply for points so I've got I've got I think two points in Iowa now so I'll be making my way up there soon (laughs) (laughs) a couple more years man a couple more years I know yeah yep I'm gonna do it so and there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. We end this podcast like we always end a podcast. Huge shout out to Caleb for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you to all of you who take time to listen to this podcast. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And those companies are Hunter Safety Systems, Lone Wolf, Ripcord, Wasp, Ozonics, and Prime. Those companies support me. I support those companies, and hopefully you guys can uh, take some time and go check those out. If you're not already following the Sportsman's Nation on Instagram or Facebook, please go do that. Please go follow the Nine Finger Chronicles if you're not doing that already, and uh, share the Sportsman's Nation with your friends because there's so much good content uh, on it. Man, I, I hate to sound cocky, but I feel that the Sportsman's Nation is severely underrated uh, as far as... Uh, good quality hunting content that gets put out we have so much of it so uh um you know continue to listen thank you for that and it's that time of year where people are starting to get out in the timber and we're starting to make moves for next season and if you're going to be setting a tree stand up our friends at hunter safety systems are reminding us to please wear your damn safety harness have a good rest of your monday